Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with Cub member Scott Baker, the founder and CEO of the Baker Group. After dropping out of school in just year 10 and getting a trade, Scott went on to start his business at the age of just 25 and now has presence in four states, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and South Australia. The Baker Group is a service provider to the hospitality industry that repairs and maintains their kitchen equipment. Scott and I discussed business strategy, methods to scale, and how to identify if your team has a strong culture. He's a very impressive young entrepreneur that I think has got a huge future and we can all learn a lot from. Enjoy the show. I cannot believe that I just read that you have been a member, you joined Cub when you were 22. I think. And you're 29 now. I'm getting old now, but I think I was the one of the youngest, yeah, if not you the youngest. Twenty two is pretty young. Yeah, that you would be the youngest. Cub was fresh. It was Cub Real was fresh. young. Cub, Cub was, was young itself. Yeah. Well, it's good to still have you here and and uh, to have you on the show today, um, because being young in business is, uh, in my opinion, both a, a great advantage, but also can sometimes be a great adversity or a challenge. And I'm sure you'd have a lot of things um, to, to, I guess, to, to say about that. But where are you from? Whereabouts? You're from Sydney, obviously. From You're, Sydney, yeah. Whereabouts? I grew up on, on the Northern Beaches. Oh, yeah. You yeah. look like a Northern Beaches. Oh, yeah. Don't say that. And how did you get into, like, I mean, at a young age, getting into, um, um, how would you describe it, kitchen, commercial kitchen servicing? Yeah, so the Baker I'm, Group is the company. Baker Group, yeah. So we repair and maintain commercial cu- cooking equipment. Um, but I started, I was an electrician originally and then worked for my father's business in this industry and then split from him and started this. So it was a oh, natural okay. progression being an electrician, then learning the gas side and then, yes, yeah, so it was a natural progression. Yeah. So you got, in, you got into it because you joined the family business and then you realised, okay, I want to do this on my own. Um, I want to do my own thing. And so you you kept the similar type of business and, and essentially, moved out. yeah. Like I started and I wanted to be a tradie and I said, I'll do anything but be an electrician because that's what my dad did. And then I, you know, my dad was also an electrician. That was his trade. Yeah. Great trade. Yeah. Great trade. So then I was actually a plumber originally and then, um, couldn't find a trade. So I ended up being an electrician, did my domestic trade. And then from there I took a job with my dad and then, yeah, just it was never a plan to get into dad's business or never a plan to leave dad's business. And it's just been what made sense at the time and just been natural progression. And what made you at a young age want to be a, to get a trade, to be a tradie? Or were you think like, did you think I wanted I to be in business? It or? was more what I didn't want to, I didn't want to be at school. And my dad said to, if you want to leave school, you have to get a job and the most obvious career path at 16, 17 is a trade. So it wasn't more so much that I wanted to be a tradie, it was that I didn't want to be at school. And what made you hate school so much? It didn't interest me. It didn't interest me because it didn't seem relevant at the time. And all my friends were kind of leaving. There was the half that were staying to do the HSE and the half that were leaving and they were making money. They looked like they were having a good time. So I said, I'll, I'll follow them. It's so interesting, the whole school thing, because when I look back at school, I sucked. But, but I love to learn now. And it's just such a shame 
that I didn't love to learn at school because I would have loved to have learned and focused more on history and 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 economics and and religion and like you know I would have loved to have retained all that knowledge and I mean a lot of it I did but I, I finished school but but like I don't have the passion for learning I do now and sometimes like I think like it's a shame that that we, we I reckon we need to communicate to to young people like trust me. If you're going to do well in life, you're going to like to learn. So just like fucking ma- start like now. Like maths or something. <laughs> yeah. like I hated maths yeah. at school. Oh, me too. It, was a, it didn't, didn't mean anything to me. Then as soon as you started business, I'm looking back going, geez, I wish I had to listen more. <laughs> but not that you learn relevant stuff. You don't learn how to read a P&L or anything, but I, it helps, you know, along the oh, way. Yeah. So now I now I love it. Same with history. I hated all that, but now – Love traveling. Love, love, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing in life. That but you're 16 at the time as well. So yeah, I you're a muppet. You don't I, know anything. I didn't know anything. And, and uh, so you got your trade. And were you thinking at the time I wanted to be a business owner, or no? You were just thinking I'm happy doing a trade. I'm happy doing what I want. No, I was 16. So I left school. Um, I was 16. Moved to the Tiwi Islands because that was just the job that I was offered. Wait, what's that? Where's so the Tiwi Islands is about 50 k's off off Darwin. Um, it's two islands, Bathurst and Melville. You're testing my memory, but uh, there's two islands there. It's an Aboriginal community. I got offered a job there and I took the job. It turned out to be a scam, not a great experience, but that was the job I took and that's where I was doing plumbing. What was the scam? What do you mean it was a scam? Essentially, I got offered the job and the guy, you know, promised me the world. He'd buy me a ute and he'd pay me money. And <laughs> the world. Whatever. I'll get you a ute. When you're 16. <laughs> that is the ute. world. <laughs> yeah, that's the world. Um, so I moved up there, did six months and then came back because I wasn't getting paid and the conditions were, were pretty average on the island. Um, so I came back here, looked for a plumbing trade to continue. Couldn't find one and then fell into electrical. And so what did you learn from that experience? Um, it's not like the Northern Beaches. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Northern Beach is a beautiful place. It, yeah, uh, how privileged we are. Not obviously on the Northern Beaches is one thing, but just in general, like it was a, it was a real eye opener as seeing, a sixteen year old. Seeing the Aboriginal community and, and yeah, so and they live on tribal law. It's a different place. Um, yeah, it's not as protected as what we are on the Northern Beaches and in Sydney in general. Yeah, so. but being, um, I mean, just being on the topic of, of young people in school. I remember that there's two the two biggest eye-opening moments I've ever had uh, in my life probably. This I don't know if I could go as far as in my life, but two huge ones I can confidently just bang rattle off and say. One was uh, moving uh, – when I moved to Paris when I was 14, I went to the international school, the American school, the American international school. And before that I thought everyone was Catholic. Christian, you know, I just thought because <laughs> right. I went to Catholic school in my life. You know, you're, you're young. You, yeah, yeah, you're young. You, well, you don't think about anything else. Like you no. just kind of like you know the people that you know. And I, I went to this international school, and obviously you, you make a bunch of friends. You got friends that are Jewish, Muslim, uh, things you don't I can't even remember or say. Like there's just and you you realize, wait a second, this world is a big world. Everyone's not the same as you. And um, and uh, so so that was one. I I remember thinking, wow, my my vision of the world was so small. Now it's so big, and um, so much bigger anyway. And then when I, uh, I I moved back and I graduated Saint Ignatius College in Riverview, and uh, which is off it's a, a Jesuit a Catholic school. When I graduated there and I got out into the work like working world, I, I started business straight away. Basically, I. 
I, so I went straight into work um, and I realized, wow, there's some dodgy motherfuckers in this world. And, you know, that people don't view the world how you view it or how people maybe, you know, that went to your school view it because, you know, you people in the same school, they typically have similar structures and family structures and upbringings and you're being taught by the school. And, and then you realize, wow, the, the world's not like that. Other people d- weren't brought up like that or they're different. And, you know, you need to be on guard and you need to be on thing. And I just, I remember that being a big lesson for me. Like Even traveling yeah. as a kid, you travel to places that you're not going to a third world country or you, even if you are, you're going to Indonesia or something, you're going to the nicest bit, the holiday, the tourist part of it. You don't see the other side to it. And I think that was the first time I saw the other side. Mm. That not everyone's as privileged as what we are. And it was a eye opener. And it's so important to have. Like I really believe that someone's power in this world is only as much of their vision of the world is. And if you have a narrow vision of the world, which is so common, you know, you, you, you're in a huge disadvantage. You, you're not viewing the whole picture. You're viewing it in black and white, maybe even less than that. You might just be viewing it in fucking white. Or, you know, it, it, I don't know the best way to get us out there to experience. The way I did it probably was a trial by fire and really thrown straight in the deep end. Um, in, in terms of what? In terms of going there complete. Like, I don't think my parents knew what I was, what I was in for when I went there. Um, and I honestly don't think it was as bad as what I remember it, but being 16 and being in the deep end like that, it was pretty crazy to me at the time. I think going back there now that I've experienced a bit more of the world that might not be as bad as what I remember, but at the time it was it was crazy. Yeah, crazy time, and, and crazy that's how you learn. You, you put yourself in un- uncomfortable situations. And, I mean, if you think about it, now that you're in business, um, and we'll get to the story of you starting, but now that you're in business – how do you learn? You overcome un- problems and you push yourself to be in uncomfortable situations that that you need to figure out. You know what I mean? And, and that's how you learn. So it's it's a pattern that that is necessary for life, and it's it's a pattern that's that's um, you know you can use it as a young person to to learn, grow, and expand your vision of the world. But it's also the same uh, skill uh, or one that in business allows you to push to open Brisbane and Parramatta Cub, uh, even though you don't have to because everything's going so well. But, yeah, I'm going to push and make it uncomfortable to get it because I, you don't know why. It's just an internal feeling that that makes you want it, even though you don't ne- you just, need yeah, it. You're back <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, you're back in the deep end again. Back in the deep end and yeah. sink or swim, make it happen. And that's kind of how we've got to where, to where we are today. And so tell me about the business. So obviously um, you, start, you left the family business, you started on your own. And what do you like about, I mean, what do you like about your industry and your new business? What interests you in it? I like the industry as a whole. Like obviously I've come up in this industry now, being in it, working in my dad's business and now um, and now running it for myself. What I learned working for my dad was that I like the, the business side of what we do. So I feel like any business that I run, it's not, I just love that side of it, like the the numbers and the the hiring and the, Culture creation. The culture create, yeah. Strategy. The business itself. And luckily this industry, I mean, um, it's a good one. What do you mean by that? It's it's a fun industry. Like it's a, it is a cool industry, like working with, um, you know, working really cool restaurants and working with amazing chefs and things like that. Like obviously it's a cool industry to be in. Um, it's cool to be able to walk into a place, go out to dinner at night and say, hey, we manage this venue. So for that reason, it's got that side to it. 
Um, but yeah, all in all, I just love the business as a whole. Like I love running the business and, and I never planned to be a business owner. Um, like I said, it was a natural progression going from running my dad's business with him to then saying, well, I don't want to do this anymore. So now I'm going to go start my own and strain the deep end. And that's the cool thing about business. There's a lot of elements across businesses that, that business to business are the same, like the business element, you know, the team, Ex- the leadership, the strategy, the problem solving. It doesn't finance. matter whether we're in finance or repairing commercial cooking equipment or selling crypto or whatever it might be. It's all this. It, there's, there's business there's, fundamentals. There's business, business fundamentals, exactly right. But at the same time, the more, like the more specialized someone is in their field of business, in my opinion, the better. Like when you, like for example, you specialize in your space in your industry, you know, you will continue. You will know that business better and better and better. And the business world is so competitive that if you entered a new market that you weren't special, like that you hadn't had that experience in, you you move down the food chain in terms of being the best. Like, for example, me, I only want to do businesses. And if I do more businesses, like, I mean, I I am, I just announced, um, uh, I won't get into it today, but I just announced a new one. Did you see my Monday email to the members? I did. Very interested. Yeah. But see, that's, it's, it's the same thing I do now. It's still uniting and connecting business owners. It's still creating business owners community. But it's a, a different way of doing it. Yeah, you can't beat experience. And I've found that we've kind of grown through the experience we have. Hey, we could now expand into this. We could offer this service or we could go here geographically or we could now manage this through the experience we have. We still look back on it now and what we were doing three and a half years ago, I don't like – we've just got here through experience and we're so much better for it now. If we had to start with this experience, I'd probably be yeah, so much further ahead. Exactly. Yeah, That's kind of my experience. point. You can only read up so much and – you can only, um, yeah. It, That's yeah. my point. That's my point. You got better. And, yeah. and, you know, business owners always do that. They look back and they're like, holy shit, I was an absolute moron last year. I don't even know how I was functioning as a business. Like, because you, you you compare yourself to where you are now as to where you were last year, which is a testament of, to how good you do because you're getting better. And, like, if I look back at Cub last year, I'd be like, Pfft. Gronks. And if I look back a year f- further, I'm like, I don't even know how we'll operate. You know, if I look back five look years. Back, I-, I look back now, <laughs> like a year ago, I'm like, if I had known what we were going to go through in the, the the year after, like, I would probably not have done it. You mean COVID? Just, well, in general, just every year, like, oh my goodness, like three years ago, we were doing this stuff out of someone on someone's driveway. Like if I went back there now, I don't think I would have went through this last four years of pain. <laughs> and now I'm loving where we're up to now, but I know that in a year I'll be saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe what we've just been through in the last year. And it's a constant progression. Like you constant, it, it sucks, the whole experience, but it's a fun ride. Well, yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 it's, it sucks because it's supposed to. It's, it doesn't necessarily suck. It's difficult because if it wasn't difficult, everybody would do it. And everyone would reap the rewards of of contributing in such a way that allows those type of rewards and that size rewards, whether it be financial impact to the world, making this world a better place, helping your loved ones, helping your team, whatever it is. The reason you're able to do that is because you accomplished, you overcame the difficulty of actually of what you're describing. And that's why, you know, as busy, you're often like, it sucks, but, but that's what makes it special. Also, when you're looking back on the year, you're looking at the year as one big challenge. Really, today I'm looking at this week's challenge and next week's challenge. It mm. doesn't seem as big of a task as looking back on the year as a whole. So, mm. And like, as you know, we just love the journey and it is 
good fun and I probably would do it again despite knowing what I what I know now and I'm sure it's not going to get any easier but yeah. And, and tell me about the business itself. So, so how, how do you function? What's the business model? Who do you serve? Who are your clients? Yeah, so we repair and maintain commercial cooking equipment, um, everything gas and electric in a kitchen. So, so you go to all the restaurants basically? Restaurants. So we do – our target market is everybody but franchisees and owner-operators. And the Why? Re- because we just don't have enough people to do it. So mainly we're targeting groups, um, high-capacity Venues, so convention centres, stadiums, casinos, um, corporate chains, so um, Guzman and Gomez or Betty's Burgers or um, corporate chains, so not individual franchisees or or groups, so um, pub groups over 10, 10 venues, etc. So, so we repair and maintain the commercial cooking equipment in those venues. And so they'll have a contract with you. Whereas when something goes wrong, they call you guys, your guys go out and fix the, fix the exactly issue. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's one side. So our customers, 90% of it, our work comes from these groups and this client base. And then the other side is we work for the manufacturers of the equipment. So we'll manage their warranty period. We'll um, assist them with their, with their overload during warranty. So if they get work and they can't attend to it, then, then we'll assist them. Um, and that's and then obviously we have that relationship, so we can get more training and we can keep upskilling our teams um, in the equipment that we. So there's two sides. There's two sides. Two sides. Yeah. And t- talk to me more about because what you were kind of describing is we we focus only on the kind of larger scale businesses because we don't have enough staff to, or manpower to focus on the smaller. That's actually a bit of a strategy in that well we don't want to hire too many people or, or we don't want to have you know 500. Uh, guys and girls out there repairing. Therefore, we want a specialist team, uh, a smaller team that's specialist, high high quality culture, high culture, and we want to service great. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go to one place where we can do a lot of servicing. We can focus all our manpower on that one place. Is that is was that the strategy? Is that how, how yeah. did you figure that out? There's a well, there's a few things to it. One, all our people on the road need to be dual trades. They need to have a gas trade and an electric trade. So that's quite hard to find. So either normally we hire them with one trade and then we'll upskill them and they can – so if they come on as an electrician, then we'll upskill them, get them the gas course and um, pay pay through that and everything. So there's only so many people we can do that for at any one time. So Why is that? Because it, it's expensive. It's expensive. Not everyone wants to do it. It's just hard to find people um, in general. So – that's one reason for it. There's also the other side. Even if there was a million people lining up at the door, we can only hire so many people at a time financially for cash flow reasons and uh, to maintain our culture. If we bring in 20 people a week and we you know, we work it or whatever you want to do, um, it's going to collapse our culture. And we're, our hiring policy is really strict and it's really about maintaining the culture we have. And that's what's what's us to where we are today. So you would attribute your success, which has been very large. You're in f- four states now? Yeah, we're in four states. So we're in Queensland, New South Wales, Vic and SA. Yeah, and you're only 29 and you would attribute a lot of that success to the culture of your All team? All culture. Really? All culture. Because our culture is actually, we've got, we do have the best technical team in the country, um, but we have those guys because they want to work in our company because of our culture. And how do you do that? It is question. a hard question it I know, is, because, yeah, I, because I ask people all the time and it is something that a, it is, a lot of people don't have it systemized or operationalized. 
Um, yet the how do like how do we get the people? Like I guess obviously some people how do you come, create the culture? Yeah, some people come to us, and it's more about we don't hire necessarily for skills. We can teach skills. We like I said, we have the best technical team in the country. We can teach skills. Is, is, is someone I can have a beer with? Is it someone that I can just have a normal conversation with? So if something does go wrong, it's easy to, you know, pull that person in and have a normal conversation with them. I would rather hire someone with the right attitude who wants to learn than the person with all the technical experience but has a bad attitude. So as people come to us and as we go out and find people, that's the that's really the only attribute we're looking for. There's some prerequisites they have to have, like obviously a trade. But other than that, really, it's just a good attitude and, wanting to learn. And how do you identify attitude in the interview process or in how are you looking for, okay, does this person have the right attitude? You know what? I think over the last few years it's become gut feel means so much, I think. I think you've spoken about it before as well, like gut feel. Sometimes I've hired someone like, oh, you know what, we really need this person. I think I can turn them. I've never been able to turn someone I've had a bad gut feel about. That, that's really insane. I've got – I must have bad guts because I always fuck it up somehow. Historically, I have. I mean, I've got them right because we've got a weapon team now. Mm. People use our team for studies on culture and shit like that. We've got a great team, but I hired some absolute uh, – um, I don't want to say Is that flops, because you're trying to grow too quick or because – their no, resume looks good. You're like, but on paper they, they're good so I can make this work. No, I think the big lesson that I would have with recruitment, and I don't want to say everyone that hasn't worked at Cubbage flop because there's amazing people that haven't worked at Cubbage just if it wasn't the right fit of a company or culture or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so that's that will make that very clear. But um, no, the people that actually were bad people, they did the wrong thing, they had bad ethics, mm-hmm. um, those were always came through mostly out of not be, because I didn't have patience and I hired because I felt I needed to hire because I needed someone at that time. And rather than not have someone, I'd rather have someone. And so I settled for, mm, you know, should That's I? settling. You've yeah, settled. settled. That's the problem. And that person always not only uh, destroys your culture, um, but they, they're unethical, they, they don't represent your brand well, they do, you know, and you find, and, and sadly, all business owners will come across people I like that. You come across angels as well. And and my God, when you find an angel, you you fucking clean their wings for them so that they can fucking soar. But but when you come across um, uh, the evils, you want to cut them out straight away and make sure they never because come back again. Because it ruins your culture. So like if you have that bad person and all the good people around watching you put up with this bad person, that pulls the culture down so quickly. That, that's a very interesting point you just said, though. It's 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 not just the person poisoning people. It's the other team members seeing you allow that to continue. Mm. That is, I think, worse because they're like, okay, well, this is what's expected. Yeah, you know, well, we can. There's no respect around here. This this boss doesn't. I don't think they're going to lead us anywhere good because they can't. They 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 don't demand excellence. Yeah. Exactly right. So now we've set this culture and the culture, as we've scaled as well, I can't be, when we were five people, I knew everyone, I was with everyone every day, talking to everyone every day. But as we've grown, I cannot do that. So if you have a bad culture, the culture now pulls people in, into line. So if someone has a, a messy car on the road or, you know, someone does something on site that they could probably get away with, but, you know, we should be honest about it. The, instead of me being there to pull them up on it, the culture pulls them up. So the other guys on the side are saying, no, that's not how we do it here. 
So if we've set that up from the start, it sets us up to scale mm. because these guys will maintain the culture no matter. We can go from 30 to 50 to 100 to, you know. And you know what else then? The benefit is that your team ends up actually removing people that don't fit. You don't even have to remove them. Your team starts, it's like they're the purple cow. The team's like, oh, wait a second, this cow's fucking purple. We, we want the, we want, uh, want the, 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 this cow standing out. They're not like us. We, we need to mm. get them out of here. This, this, he's not grazing. He's not sharing his fucking grass, this guy. And it's happened before. And, yeah. We, we've had that before. That, hey, that, this that, guy doesn't fit. Not They're not saying he's a bad technician or yeah. bad you know, admin staff or whatever. They just say, yeah. you know what, he doesn't fit with us. Yes. And, and they feel that. Everyone feels it. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you know. That's the sign. That's when you know you have a good culture. Exactly. Yeah. And a strong team who care about high performing because mm-hmm. they're actually removing people that, uh, that, that, that shouldn't be there. Especially yeah. if, the technicians, if the technicians come to me and say, this person doesn't fit. Because if that person leaves, they might be good technically. So they're getting some jobs done the day. So if that person goes, that's another 40 hours that needs to be split between the existing team. So if they come to me and say this person doesn't fit, that's a pretty big call because now they're taking on an extra 40, 50 hours work a week between them. So it's a big deal and something that I need to listen to and something I shouldn't let play out and hope for the best and hope I can turn someone. No, I agree. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't, and I also found that the most important aspect of someone is their work ethic, you know, because people can uh, might be uh, different to others or people might – seem, um, I don't know, whatever it is. But if they've got the work ethic, they want to do well and they're willing to, to work hard and to, to, to learn and to, to, you know, to, to shape to be what, what the company needs, those people always end up great. Like it's it, work ethic, in my opinion, is the rarest thing, especially now today. Everyone wants to work fucking four-day weeks. I want to go here, fucking go that. The, the queen uh, uh, passed away and all of a sudden – there's a public holiday and everyone's cheering like, yeah, great, we get an extra public holiday. What about all the businesses who have just gone through fucking COVID and now you're going to take up a whole week of trade away from us and then it's school holidays and the government, some reason, thinks that's a great idea. But all the mem- I've got members emailing me saying, Daniel, what, I, I don't know what your opinion is on this. I'm, I can't share it on my socials or LinkedIn because I'm a fear of backlash and things. But, but – like this is destroying my 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 month. I I, I this is destroying. Uh, and what I think it is. I don't it know Thursday? how I got on this. On Thursday, yeah, on a Thursday, not even a Friday. This so stupid morons. And you know what's going to happen? The Thursday, and then everyone will take the Friday off. Get a long weekend. Of course. So for us and our hospitality businesses. So on that Thursday, if they have something break down, instead of them paying two hundred and fifty dollars, they're now paying five hundred dollars because I have to pay our guys yeah. more. Yeah. So we've. It's not good for anyone. It's not none of the business people who have taken the whole country through through the past three years. Like it, it's it's. I don't even know how I got on this topic, but I knew I was going to talk about it because it was infuriating me yesterday thinking about it. And I had members emailing, and you know what else? Yes, if you're a bigger business or if you're like Cub and 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 uh, you know, I'm not getting paid per se on how the business does on a monthly basis, but. There's 2.4 million small businesses in Australia where the owner needs that monthly income to afford their own life. I was talking to the driver about this on the way here and he's like, he's an employee and this is how you can tell good employees. Because I was talking to the driver on the way here and he's annoyed about it for his boss. What a legend. And our guys, they come to me. If they're, we have reviews every 12 weeks when we talk about what you want, when they're starting to bring up things about the company and how the company could be better opposed to being like, I think I'm worth more money or they're, 
giving suggestions about they want the company to be better. It's not just about them. They're the ones you know are here for the right reasons. Yes, and, and, and that's a sign that their boss is a great guy. They're a good leader. Like, for example, the, bo- the, the leader has instilled that if the company does better, so do we. This is a team sport. This is not the company does better, I do better. This is the company does better, we have more opportunities. We get paid more. Our jobs are more secure. If something bad happens in the economy, we're still safe because we've got good cash reserves. Uh, there's growth, which means there's room for, for opportunity and development for you. Like that leader is obviously a good leader. And and I think a lot of there's a there's a lot of great teams and employees out there that are also angry about the fact it's just the big court, big business. My team's furious because we had events booked on, we had things going on, you know, we, we had members scheduled for RSVP. For it's things. a short short notice too. Yeah. You, like well, we plan a few weeks in advance. So oh. we've got jobs and scheduled maintenance. So our five-day week's now a four-day week. Yeah. And it's not like we don't have enough public holidays in this country. Like a horse runs and we stop. Yes. You know, like it, it, we don't need another thank you. Like we need good business environments so people can have purpose in life. They can contribute. They can earn great incomes. Their businesses can grow. Their families can be safer and happier. And people can continuously upskill, get smarter, feel a sense of purpose. And and our country gets stronger as a whole because our economy gets bigger through bigger through through the businesses getting more successful and 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 and, and expanding internationally. Therefore, bringing the wealth in. We need to be a stronger. We don't need to be a lazier country. We want to be a stronger, more prosperous country. And and anyway, we'll end that there. We should run the country. I, That's I, the short of it. We I'm should on, run I, no I, public holidays. I, I can assure you there will yeah. be absolutely no public no holidays. holidays. <laughs> Everyone gets two days <laughs> off a week. So and, the, the, and that's what annual leave is for. It's for holidays. I don't understand it. <laughs> I agree. Anyway, and, and public holidays aren't all that bad. Like it's good to give people breaks. But you can't just throw just after yeah. after hell it's the short, businesses it's, no, it, it yeah. is the, You're right. It's the short notice and the lack of thought to the to the business community. What, what, what were we talking about before that? Before I had to do that. I had to. I just needed to get it out there. <laughs> yeah, and so no, so, so but tell, the other side of your business that would have to be really strong is um, is your relationship management and partnerships because you must have to ha- keep very strong relationships with your, if you're dealing, particularly you're dealing with big clients, right? You're dealing with big um, uh, hospitality organisations. How do you go about contacting them, connecting them, building relationships, maintaining them? Um, is that something very important to your business? Yeah, managing the key relationships as we've grown um, is something I've had to think about a lot recently because when we started, obviously all key relationships are held by myself because I was the only one here. And then as we grew to five people, it was still held by me, but as we're growing now, I'm too stretched to manage all supplier relationships and uh, key account relationships, and then all the um, our all our original customers as well. That they all have my direct number, and I'm becoming quite stretched. And how do we manage these relationships? So now we've implemented. We have a general manager coming on. He starts in a week from now, so I'm very excited about that. Um, so he can manage more of the day to day, so I can go back to focusing on our key accounts and all these relationships. Which I would say is probably the most important part of your business. Like you want to make sure that those big accounts are staying. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations around keeping those key relationships with people that are here for the long term, not to say the general manager manager isn't going to be, but they have situations in their life that could change and we don't want them to leave and take with take the relationships with them. So it is really important for us to keep those key relationships within um, – the owners of the company, um, so myself and um, Steve, and we just had one of our other employees 
or buy-in recently as well. And he just happens to be our key account manager. So perfect works out really well. Yeah. It is a fear that a lot of businesses have is that how do I balance um, uh, account management and key relationships without losing the, 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 my business, my connection with those clients. You know, it, it's a, it's a big issue because like you're saying, if someone's to leave and, and they've got all these, they've got the relationships with a portfolio of your, your clients and they get poached by a competitor, how do you prevent those people from potentially moving over? And, and the answer is, um, it's actually, it's quite difficult, but, but there are ways to do it. For example, and I don't know if you've got well, they ways have, you'd want to share, but it needs to be more than just a relationship. So they need to be staying with us if they leave for that relationship. They're also leaving our systems, our technical team. So there's all the other things that come with us, uh, like other than that relationship that they're going to leave behind as well. Um, our relationship with suppliers, uh, we can assist you with warranty claims and things like that. So if you leave, yes, you can go to another company, but you're not going to have our – we're not going to be the middleman between you and a supplier, for example. So we're not going to help you with that anymore. So they lose more than just – the person. The person. You need to make it stickier. Like it needs to be – and I always and say – multiple points of contact. Yes. Having, yeah. Yes, yeah. For example, they might speak to the account manager regularly, but they also once a year or twice a year speak to uh, the uh, general manager or, you know, the, the in Cub's case, the club head, you know, and yeah. also as the CEO, you might also um, – uh, frequently reach out to maintain a relationship. So there's there's these multiple points uh, of contact that they're, that they're leaving. And 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 what was the other thing I was going to say? The, sorry, it was kind of what you were getting at. What I tell our team all the time: if people think that if people are better off in the cub community, they stay in the cub community. Yeah. If they don't think they're better off in the cub community, then they'll probably leave. Yeah, we're and, offering more than just a nice person to talk to. Yes, there is more than that. Yes. This is just the person who makes sure that service is delivered properly, efficiently, reliably. You need to be the best place for them to be. Yeah. So even if that, but their relationship is there. I've got to be careful as well because we're a service industry. If everyone has my number, we're a 24-7, 365 operation. So if the key can, if they really want something done, who are they going to call? So I've got to be mindful that they understand there's a communication structure too. So sometimes I'm not the best person to call. And the reality is while you'd love to serve everybody, you're just not able to, and it's probably not the it's not the best use of your time. The people can serve them and help them in those situations. We have a transition period now where we're going from that smaller business. Now we're gro- growing. I'm trying to educate clients to say I'm not the best person to call anymore because our team can actually help you better than what I can. You're exactly. still welcome to call me, CC me in the emails, 100, and I want to help you. But I want you to start with these people because they can probably serve you better than what I can, more efficiently. And, and that is a transition that a lot of businesses or that pretty much any business that becomes successful and continues growing um, has to go through. It's almost like where the owner is releasing the relationship and the contact with, with the clients and therefore new people have to come in and have that contact. And like what the best way to do that is what you said is just open communication and and to notify them that this person's actually the better person to help you in this yeah. situation. I'm Be not really clear to. about the communication structure mm-hmm. um, and when to go to what people, so when to escalate and who to escalate to, being really clear about that. It actually helps them. Mm. It helps you deliver a better service and gives them more reason to stay. And I also think it shows them that, well, this is a well-run business. We're growing. Mm. 
and therefore it's 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 a well-run good business that cares about our customers. So you should also be uh, you still got my contact details, you still contact me, but but because we're growing, we're we're doing well. I've got someone now who's only focusing on servicing you. So it's even better for you. Yeah, 100%. That's a, that's a, a very common thing that um I'm still navigating it. So yes. I'm still open to, you know, obviously we're trying to figure it out at the moment. Um, the best way and the best structure as well. We've, we've done a restructure trying to figure out who should sit where and everything. Cause as we've grown, we've kind of grown out and we're just trying to figure out exactly what, how that structure works and then how to best communicate it with the clients without making too many changes every second day. Oh, actually now you should speak to this person. We don't want to create confusion in yes. our growth either. No, you can't. It has to be simple. We actually did that exceptionally well at Cub. We, um, uh, to the point where we communicated it because it was messy for, for a long time, but we communicated who's to talk to for one. And when, like, if, for example, people would email me, uh, hey, Daniel, can you introduce me to someone who does this or whatever? At that point in time, I didn't know, I don't, I don't know most of the community at the moment because that's not my, I haven't got the ability to do that. It's not my role. Yeah. Therefore, I'm not the best person to introduce them to anyone because I only introduce them to the ones that I know that were there five, five, seven years ago. So, so I actually reply and say, you know, hi, Laura, and thank you for reaching out. I'm not the best person because I haven't got the, you know, I haven't got uh, the best knowledge of the entire community. However, I've CC'd in Calvin in who's your club head um, and and Calvin will, Calvin knows the, you know, Sydney CBD community the best. He'll make sure that you get connected to the right person. So you actually direct them to the right you're person. And yeah, you are helping, helping them. And doing them you a always disservice. If, you, if I try to keep it all to myself, I'm doing them a disservice. And your team a disservice. And my team. Mm. And if I could do it all myself, then I should just get rid of the team. Yeah, yeah. Probably save a lot of money. and cheaper. <laughs> and cheaper. Yeah, save a lot of money and yeah. save a lot of uh, heartache. Yeah, and and tell me, so one of the things you mentioned was that you're, you've scaled to four states and you've done that um, entirely in house, meaning you haven't contracted out jobs to other companies over there, or you haven't licensed agreements or anything like that. How have you done that, and why? Or why did you decide to do that? Have that kind of sense of ownership? Yeah, I've been down the contracting path before. So a lot of companies in our space and in trade in general will go national through contracting. So they'll contract other smaller companies in lots of areas. As we know, Australia is a huge place. So it's really hard to get coverage on your own in multiple states. So I've been down that path before. It's really hard to maintain quality. So we've done a slower growth. Like we've grown slower, but we keep it all in-house. We've never contracted and we never will. You can hold me to it. We never contract. We want to keep everyone in-house. So it makes it harder because we can cover less area. Um, so at the moment we cover those states. We don't cover a lot of the regional areas. So obviously we've got to keep growing our teams out of the metro areas. You know, we want to cover from Sydney. We also want to set up a team in Newcastle, a team in Wollongong and keep expanding what we would call our metro area. Um, and the reason is 100% because of quality. It's a scary trap because everybody wants to grow really fast. Everybody wants to say they're bigger, more successful. But the way I look at it is that the faster it go the far the, the faster it grows, the quicker it can fall. Slow growth will or almost always rely uh, uh, create a stronger, a stronger company because it's grown slowly, correctly. It's been safe. And and look. There's not one right way or the other, but but there are benefits and cons to both. 
And like, if you're growing really fast and you're contracting out, you're basically just a lead source for other, for other uh, trades. You know, you're basically getting get, website lead comes through. Yep, sell them on, send them to the trade. The trade then and a lot goes, of people are successful doing it. Of course you they can are. Make it's a lot great of money model. and it's a, it can, but there's always. I guess you got there's challenge in every business. They've got their challenges. So I have I don't have the same challenges as them because I don't contract. But then I have other challenges. Like for me, it's really it's going to be really hard to cover an area like Bathurst because there's just only so many kitchens out there, and they've probably got some local electrician. Like there's I can only cover so much of Australia doing what we do. Yeah, um, but that's a strategy you've chosen. There's no one way to success. I mean, businesses succeed doing all sorts of things, but that's your strategy. And I think the fact that you know it um, and that you're sticking to it. And that you understand that the purpose is quality. And and also, I mean, I personally believe that your ultimate responsibility as a business owner is security. It's actually a, it's survival. It's protecting the company because the company protects the team. The teams protect their families and serve the communities. And so your ultimate goal is to make sure that I do not let this thing collapse. I need to keep this thing alive. And if that means I grow a bit slower then I would want my ego would want me to, well, then I have to drop my ego and I need to grow a bit slower. It might mean that, okay, growing faster is actually safer because we want to cover the market and be the first brand in these regions so that people know that you know, Cub is Australia's members club for business owners and we're in every state and there's no point starting one because, you know, like that, that's that's also a defence strategy. Yeah. But, but, uh, but there's also risks to it. Yeah. And for us, like the downside is we're more expensive. So if you want us to go fix an oven on Ayers Rock, we can do it, but we're going to have to fly someone there because we'll have to be one of our own people. So it's obviously going to cost more because we've got to get that person there. So we can go anywhere. We have a higher cost, but our quality does not falter. And so when you speak to clients about that, how do they take that? Like how do you how do you sell that to them? I mean, it's not a how do you describe the benefit of being you? How do you make you different from the others? We we're very clear that we don't discount. So a lot of people say, oh, we've got this many venues. Well, we, we don't provide discount ever because we can justify our service. Um, and if they don't want to pay for it, um, they don't have to. We don't lock them in on day one. We, we're very open with our pricing. Um, we're very open and honest with our customers. So if they choose not to use us and they want to go use someone else who's cheaper. They're you know, able to. They they're, can, yeah, they're, they're allowed to. Yeah. We're honest on day one. Um, so, and see, I'm saying that that's a great sense of confidence. Like, you know, when you speak to a business and they immediately drop the price 50% or 25% and it's like, oh, you, you were just trying to scam me 25% a second ago. And you know, that's how I take it. Yeah. If but someone when, says, Hey, I'll charge you 10 grand. <laughs> you say, can you do it cheaper? Oh, yeah, I'll do it for seven and a half. Yeah. Why were you charging yeah. 10? The f- like, yeah. it's, you, exactly. you're ripping them off. So we can justify, we have a, we know what our margin is. We know how much money we need to make. And obviously that's gone up over time as our overheads have got bigger, but we've been able to justify that cost. And if someone asked me for a cost breakdown, where do we come up with our 130 an hour? I can tell you exactly how we came up with it. And, and it's just another sign of confidence. Like if you were a poorly run company and you were desperate for the service, you would drop your price. But I know that you're a well-run company and you're not desperate for your service. You're choosing great clients and provide them great service because you're willing to lose the business if it's not the right fit, if, 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 if the person wants you to come down a price. And that's – The right big, customers see it. Yes, right I, I would see that. It, yeah. I would be, and especially if you're saying, look, if you're not happy, if you think that our quality isn't higher than the cheaper alternatives, you can oh, 
you can get out of your contract. That's completely fine. Yeah. Because that's also showing that well, we know we we hold, we're gonna we have to hold ourselves accountable to what we've said because otherwise we'll lose you as this client anyway. We actually didn't contract anyone for the first three years. So the first three years of business, we didn't contract anyone. So even when the people said, oh, how long do we have to sign up for? We said, you don't have to sign up at all. All you need to do is agree to our terms. So you're agreeing to what we're going to charge you, but every job needs to be pre-approved. So you call us, you accept it. So if ever you're not happy, you just leave. And so there's again, no, so if you don't like, we don't want you here. We don't want to work for you if you don't want to work with us. And we've kept all our clients. So it's quality, well, and, of them. quality and service with a guarantee because if you're not happy, you can just drop leave, us. Yeah. yeah. That, that, We're backing our service that we don't need to lock you in with a contract. I think it's an incredible strategy. I really do. And it's all in line with it. It's all in line with self-ownership. We have our teams. We don't outsource so we can upheld the quality so we can guarantee that our clients stay so we can charge a premium price. You know, I'd like, love to keep doing it too. I'd love to keep the no contracting thing. The only reason we do it now is because the banks. And you need contracts. Like contracts, contracts aren't there for the yeah. good times. They're there for the bad times. They're exactly there for right. if someone's trying to screw you. That's, this is you part need of contract. scale. Yeah. yeah. I have to do things properly now. Yeah, it, that's it. someone said that. I can't remember who said that to me, but they said, "Look, contracts aren't there for when everything's good. They're not there for the good ones. They're there for the bad ones who try to who try to you know get out of you try to screw you over. You, you need an agreement in place, and and that's a good way to see it, view it. Because if you're ever doing a contract with someone, a friend, an, an employee that's that you're doing something with, or whatever it is, you can approach it like that. It's not like, hey, we're doing this, you know, we're doing this because I'm trying to screw you, or I'm you know, we're doing this just you know as backup." In and the worst clarity. case scenario, we we know what's the situation, yeah. so everyone's very clear on on what's happening. Yeah. And I'd be very curious. I mean, COVID must have been COVID was shit for everyone, but must have been shit for you because uh, restaurants. Um, what, what, yeah. Your face is making me look like it wasn't that shit for you. It but was pretty shit. I would imagine it'd be I'm pretty shit. Yeah. I'm so sick. Of, I hate. Like just talking. Oh, we'll cruise yeah. through this quickly, but I'm, I, I'm curious how you led your team through it then. The thing how, is, how you approached it with your team. Yeah, we started February 2019, and all the lockdowns started happening kind of December, January 2020. Um, so essentially, we'd kind of started, got off the ground, hired a few people, and then lockdowns happened. And obviously, we're um, all hospitality. We weren't at that stage in SA. So ideally we would have been in SA and WA because Brisbane. they were protected. Mm. Or oh, WA, yeah. Um, originally we didn't – our Queensland person at the time was actually based in Byron Bay, so he couldn't get across the border. So everything went wrong essentially. So 95% revenue drop. Um, we couldn't get any of the grants because they were comparing to a year previous. When so you just were, started. <laughs> they were comparing to yeah. February 2019. In our first month we did like – Two grand, a thousand dollars, maybe, and then they're looking and saying, "Hey, you guys did twenty grand this month. You, you're killing it. You're doing it, mate." Well, so yeah, COVID was a, a struggle. Yeah, that's horrible. But you know what? Actually, counters it. it it's a, it's an example of the other benefits of growing fast. Because if you grew fast, like for example, if Cub had clubhouses in uh, Brisbane, Perth, and Adelaide, well, when Melbourne was shut. Or, and Sydney and Melbourne were shut, you'd have three clubhouses still open and, and going. So there is that safety in speed of growth as well. So that's another angle to look at. It did help, but it was the East Coast that was closed yeah. for us. So we had never had all four states open until December of 2021. So just recently, we've only just had all four states open. And do you think that starting your business in that environment, which I know a lot of people who, who have and who have done that, 
Do you think that that has made you stronger and more resilient as a as an entrepreneur? Do you think that it was actually a secret? It's become now because of your perseverance a positive. I think we have to take the good things from it. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, I do think there's definitely some positives that came out of it. Um, so, and yes, I think there's a lot of things we've set up because of it. That and because we were new as well, we were able to set up new things and we were nimble. We weren't didn't have a hundred person staff who had to transfer everyone to online working or working from home. So we were um, small and we could um, pivot pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, there were some good things that came out of it. But I'm pretty happy not to deal with a global pandemic again. And with your, with being young, you're 29 now, and with being so young, uh, starting your business at a young age, what are some advantages you think there were to that? Um, And what were some disadvantages? During COVID? No, in general. In general? Um, I guess starting young, I think it's, I'm not tied to too many things. Like we've, um, I don't have kids, so that's obviously a huge help. I can't – I speak to a lot of business owners that do have kids and I can see how much harder it is. You're taking a lot more risk. So starting at 22 with, with my dad, um, there's not really – worst case, it, it all goes – balls up. And Nothing really – it doesn't matter. You just so start much. from scratch, whatever. Yeah. So that's one big advantage. I guess the downside is you just don't have any experience at all. Um, like we were saying before, there's so many similarities and the fundamentals of business. You just don't have those. So if I was to go start a new business now, I kind of already start three years ahead of what I started when I was 22. Um, so yeah, I, it's and all in all, it's I the think naivety. It's start, yeah, it's naivety good. could be good though. It is good, and yeah. the things we've done now, looking back on it, going to Queensland and Victoria at the same time, very stupid. It's worked out for us now. But in hindsight, it was really stupid. But because I was young and didn't think, and I was like, I just want to get bigger and grow this business, doing it all before COVID as well, really stupid in hindsight, but it worked out. So, Yeah. Now, I, I, I look, I think if you can start young, better. But when, when and I was just talking to another member, right before I, we came into this, I was talking to another member. And the other thing is people need to realise when you're a young business person, you are a young business person, you know, you, you are immature still and you are like the business is not like I'm talking not 29, I'm talking like 23, 22. You know, you still are a baby. You're still- I get away with asking the stupidest questions at Cub. Why? Because people think because <laughs> they're like, oh, he's so young. So I, I and I take full advantage of asking all the stupid questions <laughs> and just being honest. I'm like, I don't know anything. And the whole reason I joined Cub was to learn. It wasn't to make connections. No one at Cub that I know of owns a commercial kitchen. So it's all about learning off other people. And because I'm young, I can ask stupid questions and no one really looks at me like, oh, what an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. They're like, good on him. Yeah, and people, so. and the business owners like to give back too. They like to like they like to share knowledge, I find. Yeah, I can't speak for if you were an older member, but every I've never had anyone push back or Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, in general, club, of club, obviously they, they like to share. But like I find in general business people, people are help. generous people. Yeah. Like that's that's who they are people by nature. Help. Yeah. And um, uh, it's time to wrap up. Yeah. Um, and tell me, if you – so you, you've got a, f- a couple of great book recommendations. We normally finish on some book recommendations. Um, you've got a couple of them. Uh, what, what are two books you'd recommend? Do you read a lot? Not as much as I should. Um, I love reading. 
but it, I find it very hard during like a working week. It's really hard for me to to focus and um, and really get into a b- book. But um, I do. I love reading. What, I love what are some reading, recommendations? I love reading bo- about books that like Starbucks. Pour your heart into it. Um, any book that talks about a business starting from scratch and scaling seems to interest me. Um, Alibaba, you know, uh, The House That Jack Ma Built, all those books where people are starting from scratch really in- intrigues me. I feel like we're not Alibaba, but um, we but can I, see that, that it's, it's the same challenges. Well, Alibaba and Starbucks were once very small businesses. Exactly, like, yeah. And it's so cool to think about that. No, like McDonald's was once tiny. You know, Apple was once tiny, yeah. has more 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 liquid capital than the U.S. government, but was once tiny. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can create something huge in business, and and I, I agree. I, I love reading the stories of of business about how they started. And, oh my goodness, this person was the same as us at one point. Yeah, even that Nike book, uh, Shoe uh, Dog. Dog. Yeah, like. The, I, if I was him, I would have given up before it succeeded because he seemed like he just went through an endless amount of fucking hell, yeah, and uh, but endless amount of problems and fail failure before he he got there. And I was just thinking the whole time, wow, he's one resilient person. It's a common theme amongst all of them. They all cop a lot of shit for a lot of years, mm. and it looks like it's going to fail. Some of them don't even plan to succeed. Um, they they just know that they're doing the right thing and they just keep pushing through, and then. They're on the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how you, how you made end. it. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that's not – it used to be how you know you made it. Now every Tom, Dick and Harry's got a book for themselves. Exactly. They've, they've ruined, they've ruined books. Me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't write a book unless I deserve it. Yes. Unless someone comes up to me like, hey, man, I really want to write a book about I'll you. I'll hold you to it. Yeah. No, I will never write a book and, and until it's deserved. Okay. Um, all right, my man. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. <laughs> awesome. Well, we love having you as a member at Cub and, and to our amazing listeners. If you want to uh, get in contact with Scott or find out more, uh, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast uh, and you can find his LinkedIn contact details, greatest lessons in business, book recommendations and all sorts of cool things. And from our other guests as well from the podcast, all of it there. If you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show.